is the lamb that was slain. Try that again. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. You know, in the Revelation, when it's talking about who's worthy, we're looking around, who's going to be worthy to open these seals? Who's going to be worthy to to do these, open these scrolls and, and, and read these things? And, and uh, there's almost a, a, a feeling of desperation. And then the one who is worthy shows up. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. So we, we give him everything this morning. And he's all that matters. Um, and uh, I appreciate the worship team for getting us ready for that. I do have a few administrative things to get through before we get in the message. Um, first of all, just welcome. Uh, I don't take for granted that you could be anywhere else this morning. Um, and you chose to spend your time here with us. So uh, if you are uh, new here, uh, new-ish, uh, make sure you get your, uh, somebody shakes your hand and, and gives you a gift if you haven't got one, one yet. Don't waste your time. We don't. Uh, want to neglect to say that we're glad that you chose to spend your morning uh, with us. So welcome. Um, it's exciting uh, what God's doing here, and uh, I don't take that for granted. Um, I was just in a conversation with a good friend of mine uh, last night, or two nights ago, and uh, and it just dawned on me afresh that uh, that we don't take this for granted. What we feel God doing here at Ignite is not to be taken for granted. It's not something that just shows up. Uh, at every church, um, and uh, uh, we need to remain humble uh, in that, uh, because it has nothing to do with us, really. Uh, we, we are obedient, we're willing, yeah, pat yourselves on the back, but it's all about him, all right? That's why we meet here, that's why we have a reason to meet, and so it's all about that uh, lamb that was worthy um, and slain on our behalf. Um, I'm reminded of a, of a quote that just kind of rocked me at my desk this week, um, and we get thinking about how we have some things to do for Jesus. We have, uh, I tell you all the time, I admit that I'm a, I'm a doer, right? So if somebody tells you something to do, I don't always think to pray about it first. I just get to start doing it. I certainly don't pray whether I should do it. If I know the Bible tells me I should do it, why do I need to pray about whether I should do it? Uh, but I should pray to have it infused with supernatural power uh, so it's not going to be my end result, but God's end result. Um, but I just was so struck with this quote. Uh, that God is under no obligation. We get this quote up here. Uh, this was a, a quote that I read, I think, from Christianity Today, but it's, uh, it says this, and I paraphrase slightly, because it was written from the perspective of a, of a professor teaching theology at a school. It says this, but we must also reckon with the fact that the Spirit does not have to move in our services or in our classrooms. While our need is absolute, our need for God to be here with us is absolute, God is under no obligation to make use of our teaching. If you've ever done something for God that you kind of fell flat, kind of you felt like it just wasn't what it should have been, uh, maybe it's because there's too much of you and not enough God in it. Uh, and that struck me this week that I can I can do all the study, I can do all the cramming, I can do all the writing, but it's going to come up empty, it's going to come up dead if God's not in it, and he is under no obligation to show up for me. But he does. Week after week he does. And for you, week after week, he does. And in there, week after week, he does. And Monday through Saturday, week after week, he does. To take the fledgling effort that we could compile together, put together here in this building, and say, isn't that pitiful? Let me just sprinkle a little God fertilizer on it. Let me put a little fuel on that fire. You know I like to 
speak in terms of fire. We are Ignite, after all, all right? And I just like to play with fire. So but we're going to ask, uh, we have been asking God, we're going to continue to ask God to, to bring some heat this morning. Um, he's under no obligation to, though. All right, next uh, next slide. This, uh, this passage comes to us from Galatians. We've not gotten there yet, but it says this. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. We want to be a missional community of people. We want to get outside these walls, but we need to realize that our first responsibility is to each other. It's to those that call themselves the family of Ignite, those that gather here week in and week out. And maybe you're fairly new, but I want to, I want to extend this, this offer. Uh, the, Christmas time is, is upon us, right? We're talking, thinking about getting gifts for the kids and, and uh, uh, spouses, loved ones. Uh, I just want you to know that if, if this is, represents a difficult time for you financially, if it's a strain such that you think, I, I'm not sure there's going to be presents under the tree, please don't leave it at that. Um, come talk to us. We, 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 can't, I mean, we can't make the whole thing happen for everybody, but if you have a need, we don't want your kids going without. Come, come talk to us, myself. Or, Ed, we want to be a blessing to you. And so if that's your situation, or, on the other hand, if your situation is such that God has blessed you and you want to be a part of meeting some of those needs, let's, let's meet need with person willing to meet need, and let's get those things uh, together. Uh, next slide. We have a, a ministry opportunity. We got a letter in the mail from a gentleman that's uh, incarcerated in Joliet, uh, one of the treatment centers in Joliet. A beautiful letter. He's, he's passionately following Jesus in prison. And he's reached out in desperation just to get a few men to, to consider writing back. Uh, Ed has made a stack of, of copies of that letter, and, and I hope that he gives away every one of them today. That's going to require men to be faithful to that call and say, you know what, I can write a letter to a guy who's incarcerated and needing an encouragement, needing uh, a word of uh, encouragement. Uh, I can be that guy. Uh, mine went out in the mail a couple days ago, and I, and I hope that you'll follow uh, in that and, and, uh, and write one yourself. And finally, the, the prayer team. We're just in the, uh, next slide please. We're just in the germination phases of trying to put this thing together. Um, and, uh, so far we've got a, we got a Facebook page. It's just a secret Facebook page. So it doesn't, your request won't go out to anybody else. Uh, but so far it's myself, Brindy, and, uh, and Denise. Uh, so it's a lonely group. We want to, looking to add some more names to it. What I'm asking of that group of people is that you're willing to just be a hub of, of, of prayer central. Uh, a request comes in, we post it to that group, and you get everyone notified. Everyone that needs to know can be praying for those things. Um, I'm not looking to head that up, all right? There's uh, enough irons in the fire for me, so I need somebody to, to step up and say, hey, I'd like to, that's my calling. That's what I want to do. That's who I am. And, and let me let me go ahead and take care of that and, and lead that, that effort. Um, and come find me after the service. I'd like to add a few names to that uh, by the close of today if we can. I think that's it for the announcements. I, I didn't want to add anything more. I keep doing these last-minute announcements. I, I don't want to add that to row last minute, so I've done that enough to you in the past. But uh, All right, we have, uh, by way of review, we have been in Galatians, and the last couple weeks we've been focused on the way of the flesh, uh, the way of our natural man or woman, the, na- the natural uh, flesh, desires of the flesh. It's our basis desires, our most natural inclinations, our impulses, if you will. And uh, Paul's first warning against that came two weeks ago when he said, don't give any opportunities for the flesh. Don't look for ways in which you can gratify the desires of your flesh, which are all weak. They're all temporary. They're all fleeting. 
In that first week, in chapter 5, verse 15, we read that uh, if we give in to those desires, we won't properly love and treat others uh, as we are their servants. He said, I don't want you to be a slave to the law. That's what you're trying to do. You're trying to be a slave to the law. I want you to be a slave, but not to the law. I want you to be a slave to other people. I want you to consider other people more important than yourself. Uh, He said, so if you're not doing that, you're going to end up biting and devouring. You might say, well, wait a second, Pastor Jeff. That doesn't make any sense. I cannot actively love somebody but still not bite and devour them, right? But the answer we gave actually was, no, you can't. There, there is no neutral territory. If you're not actively loving the person next to you, you are biting and devouring them. I, I've talked to you before about this a number of times, but there is no neutral spiritual territory. You, you can't just sit neutral, sit on your hands, and just kind of not be sinning against God. We're supposed to actively love each other, and so to not do that is not just to sit still, to sit stagnant. It is to be disobedient to God. You end up biting and devouring. No neutral stance. Remember the uh, the analogy of the, the ocean tide. You can't just look away from the shoreline and expect that you won't be drifting further and further out to sea. And I thought of another metaphor, maybe even more fitting than that. Imagine yourself uh, cycling up a steep hill. And then saying to yourself, as you continue to pump and, and pedal, and that's the only way you're getting up that hill. You say, I'm just going to take it easy. I'm just going to take my feet off these pedals. There might be a moment in which you're not regressing, but it's only a moment. And before long, you, you know, before you know it, you're sliding back downhill. And so there's no neutral territory. Either you are actively loving one another or you're biting and devouring uh, one another. No victimless crimes in the family of faith. And he moves on. He, in chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, he talks about some of the works of the flesh. I don't have them all listed, but kind of... Categorize here. So some of the things, the natural inclinations of our flesh would be sexual sins, idolatry, anything that replaces God, whether it be things or people in your life, is idolatry. Witchcraft, becoming actually more and more popular. You think that's an archaic thing? It's actually more and more popular for people to get into witchcraft and sorcery. And the ones that are more palatable, or I'm sorry, more palpable for us, relational strife and divisions in the church. Who knows that's a real thing? Who's been a a, a part? I shouldn't even ask you to raise your hands. All the hands would be up. Who's been hurt by a church? And maybe a leg too, you know? Um, But we've all all experienced it. We've all been on the receiving end. And sometimes, sadly enough, we've been on the giving end of being too judgmental, too harsh, too critical, too mean-spirited. But it's relational strife and divisions. And then finally, drunkenness. It's not just drunkenness. It's any substance that we turn to that isn't God. To find that, to fill that hole that we have. They call it the God-shaped hole for a reason. Those are the works of the flesh. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 26 to finish that chapter up this morning. In contrast, what is the way of the Spirit? If that's the way of the flesh, if that's what characterizes the way of the flesh, well then what is it that characterizes the way of the Spirit? This, by the way, is going to be a great opportunity one day, maybe in 2020, uh, for a topical series of messages on all the, the fruit of the Spirit. But that's what it is. It's, first of all, the way of the Spirit is away those, from those things that we already mentioned. It's first a recognition that that's not what I want to partake in, that's not what I want my life to be about, and you do an about face. So you recognize what I'm doing right now is the opposite of what I should be doing. And the first step is to recognize that. The second step is to do an about face, but you still haven't moved from it. So it's not just about a a turning away from the thing that you're doing, but a turning toward the thing you should be. 
We all, that, that lands differently in each of our laps, I think, this morning. Uh, what you're doing versus what you should be doing. And how we need to recognize that. But it's toward a series, and this series of fruits that are going to be uh, shown in this passage, not exhaustive. This isn't a, a, a place to limit on what God wants to do, the things he wants to manifest in your life. But, uh, but it's a, a good summary list. So we're going to emphasize this morning where we will be going as we're in step with the Spirit, as opposed to where we've been when we were lost. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, in his Sermon on the Mount, he said, By their fruit you will know them. By their fruit you will know them. Now, he's speaking in the context of false prophets, right? Uh, But isn't it true of us as well? By their fruit? The things that your tree produces in your life produces fruit that's evident to other people. It might be less evident to you, but it's evident to everyone else. By their fruit you will know them. A bad tree bears bad fruit, and a good tree bears good fruit, right? And it can't do otherwise. He goes on to say that the, uh, a bad tree cannot bear good fruit, and a good tree cannot bear bad fruit. So the question I have for you this morning is, what, what sort of fruit is on the limbs of your life bearing witness to who you are? What sort of fruit is on the limbs that represent your life, the tree of your life, that bear witness to who you are? And is that fruit consistent? Is the fruit that's actually produced consistent with what you would say about you? We all have the ways we would describe ourselves, uh, sometimes uh, more glowingly than we deserve, uh, most of the time more glowingly than we deserve. But uh, sometimes distracting. But is the, is the fruit in your life consistent with the story, the way that you would tell the story of your life? And if it's not, you have to ask yourself, ask yourself the question, why isn't it? Why isn't the fruit that you're bearing consistent with what you would say about yourself? You're either, at, le- at the very least, you are self-deceiving. And sometimes we don't even know that. We, we, are, we are better liars to ourselves than anyone else, aren't we? Who, who lies better to you than you? The answer is nobody. You can go ahead and answer. Who lies better to you than you? Nobody. So what story is your fruit telling? And if you're doing so, if you're telling a different story on purpose, knowing that it's inconsistent, it's called hypocrisy. And we talk often about coming here and getting polished up, getting getting uh, uh, dressed up and looking the part, convincing the person next to you that you're something other than what you really are. I know I've been guilty. Don't leave me alone up here. I see, I see the looks on your faces. I, I get to watch this interaction each week. Start writhing in your seat. Getting a little bit nervous. Maybe pull out the, pull out the collar a little bit. Um, I see all those reactions. But if not, it's hypocrisy. So let's be honest about the fruit that's being produced in our lives. Let's take a look at what the Spirit wants to produce in our lives. Before we jump into the text, let's go ahead and ask the Lord to be here with us uh, this morning. Lord, we've already prayed this several times, but we are asking once again that your Spirit would be powerful in this place, Lord. Uh, Lord, that we would be able to quiet the things in our hearts, our minds that are, that are vying for our attention, Lord. 
that are, that are causing distractions in our lives, that are, are manifesting themselves even this morning. Uh, Lord, might we, might we be able to quiet that noise in our life long enough to be introspective enough to see what it is our life is producing and what it is that you want to produce in us. And then, Lord, when we do that about faith, might we be faithful to take the next steps to actually do it? Lord, as ever, I'm aware that I need your help this morning to do the task that's laid before me. And uh, so, Lord, we're just coming to you helpless people needing to be infused with a fresh uh, anointing of your spirit in our lives. Might that be the reality for each and every person that's here this morning? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Paul continues, verse 22. We know these paragraph divisions and these, these stops and, and, and stuff in the, in the text is really uh, just what we've imposed upon the text. Paul's continuing his train of thought from the last uh, few weeks we've been in. Uh, but he starts off, but the fruit of the Spirit is. He says, but. This is in contrast to the works of the flesh. He's changing the narrative, shifting the narrative from this is what it looks like to follow the works of the flesh. This, on the other hand, is what I want you to do. This is the kind of stuff you're looking to be uh, have produced in your life if you're following the Spirit. And that fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, he says, there is no law. And what does he mean by that? What is Paul saying? There is no law. Of course, there's no law against good things, right? Well, if you remember, the Old Covenant is all about restraint. The Old Covenant, the Old Testament, is all about restraining you from bad behavior. Almost entirely. is a list of don'ts, mostly. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't go this on that day. Don't, don't go this far on that day. Don't do this against your neighbor. It's a bunch of don'ts. But he's saying, this list of things that I want you to produce in your life, that the Spirit wants to produce in your life, there is no ceiling on that. There is no limit placed upon those things. There is no law of restraint against those things. So go ahead and dive in ahead first. We're going to talk more about these uh, uh, fruits of the Spirit in a moment. But unlike the purpose of the law, which was restraint, there is no such restraint for the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, you're familiar with the golden rule, right? Show of hands, golden rule, you know what that is? Go ahead and say what it is. What, what's, the, what's the golden rule? Do unto others, right? How many are aware of the silver rule? One? Okay, the silver rule is actually more ancient than the golden rule. The silver rule says this, don't do to others what you would not want them to do to you. You notice the subtle difference? Do not do to others what you would not want them to do to you. That's an old covenant statement. I'm going to restrain myself from doing any harm to you that I wouldn't want you to do to me. I'm not going to punch you in the mouth. I'm going to appreciate you not punching me in the mouth either. All right, can we agree to can we agree to that? But let's not just agree to that. Let's agree to take the next step. And so you know what? You're hungry. I have the means to feed you. And so I'm not just going to not do the things that you wouldn't want me to do to you that I wouldn't want you to do to me. I am going to instead orient myself so I'm so far from that that I'm looking to meet your needs. I'm looking to do something for you because that I would want you to do for me in the same position with the same need. 
And that's the difference. That's really the difference we're working with here. The, the law of restraint versus there's no such law against these things. And how could there be a law against this is These attributes, these fruit, are attributes of a Christ. And Christ perfectly fulfilled the law. So how could we do otherwise to, to take on these, these character traits in droves, right? That's what we should be looking to do. Verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Those who belong are marked out by such things, such fruit. It tells you what kind of tree you are. This idea of crucifying the flesh, again, doing the about face, turning and repenting of the way you used to live your life, which is all self-centered, right? We, we used to live our lives completely invested in self. Some of us are still flirting with that. Our old man's still kind of attacking us, still latching on, and wanting to still be a part of our daily routine. But those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh. They've repented and turned away at a determined point in the past. That's your conversion story. You said, man, I can't do this life. I'm a mess. But then Jesus showed up. Then the cross showed up. I said, I don't care what kind of mess you are in. I can fix that. His grace is wide enough and deep enough and awesome enough to consume that mess in your life. And he wants to do that. But it's that point in which you accepted that, that determined point in the past that you died to self. You died to your sin nature. You took on a new nature. In Romans chapter 6, verse 11, it says, So you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Being dead to sin doesn't mean I flirt with it every now and again. Doesn't mean I get polished up on Sundays, but then Monday through Saturday, live however I want. It means I'm keeping in step with the Spirit all the time, Sunday through Sunday. It's been suggested that these passions and desires, the passions, the outward expressions of the desires being the, the inward inclinations of your flesh to do that thing, and then the passions being you actually doing them. Those that belong to Christ Jesus have crucified that in their lives. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. If, again, because Paul doesn't take for granted that they are. Remember, it's just a few years prior. Just a few years prior, Paul had brought this pure gospel, and they're already straying from it. They're already straying from the good news that Paul brought when he planted the churches of Galatia. And so he takes nothing for granted about these Galatians. Oh, foolish Galatians. If you are keeping in step. This idea of keeping in step is an ongoing responsibility. You ask, what does it look like to live a faithful life for Jesus? Birth, life, death, faithful. You don't get to take breaks. You don't get to stop. You don't get to stop pedaling. You don't get to stop swimming. Our rest is coming. And for the, for the blood-bought believer in Jesus Christ, there is a measure of rest found in Jesus. But the fight's still on. We are still engaged in that battle on a daily basis. The moment you stop fighting, you've already given in. You've already lost. The moment you stop pedaling, just wait for it. The bicycle starts going backwards down the hill. And it's not as easy as it would seem to keep in step with the Spirit being an ongoing, continual thing in your life. The idea of keeping in step reminds me of the idea of marching 
in a platoon. I got a couple here that can relate. Marching in a platoon. I, I graduated from basic training with a with a, a man named Private Lane. And Private Lane was uh, about as unimpressive a guy as you can imagine. I mean, just didn't look the infantry part. And I don't know if there's a model infantryman, but it wasn't him. And maybe it wasn't me, but it certainly wasn't him. And Private Lane was was disallowed to celebrate with us in our graduation ceremony. And the reason was Private Lane could not keep in step, no matter what he did. They'd say, hey, Private Lane, just walk. He'd be fine. He'd just walk. They'd say, march. And he'd do this awkward thing. I'm going to try to replicate it for you. They'd say, Private Lane, march. And he started doing this. As soon as he was conscious of the fact that he was trying to keep in step, he lost it. And he graduated from basic training, but from the bleachers. And his family didn't get to watch him march, because he couldn't, that boy couldn't march. But keeping in step with the spirit is much more difficult than keeping in step with the drill sergeant. Far more difficult, because there are far more distractions looking to pull you away from keeping in step. I've experienced some of those recently in my life. In the last couple of weeks, I've had distractions that have robbed me of pleasure, robbed me of joy in my life, because I allowed them to. I wasn't keeping in step with the Spirit. I won't ask for a show of hands. You can if you want. Who, who can meet me there? But if we're not keeping in step, we're in trouble. So much of this Christian life is about perseverance. The Greek word kupomene, it means literally staying power. Having staying power. To stick, stick with it when it's tough. Uh, when, when does staying power matter except when it is? There is no such thing as perseverance when it's easy. It's just life. Perseverance means there's something against which you're fighting. And you're trying to stay above water. You're sticking to it. You've given your allegiance to the idea of this thing and you're going to stick it out. You're going to maintain it. You're going to be loyal to it. All this demanding an ongoing and long obedience in the same direction. What does a faithful life look like? A life that was given completely and totally to Jesus from birth to death. Some of us waited until we were later, later in life to give that. And so it's incumbent upon you to spend the years that you have giving back to Jesus as, as feverishly as you can with the time that remains in your life. It's also important that we never live our lives as though we have arrived at the destination. The Christian life is not a destination. It's a process. Being saved, destination. Being sanctified, process. You are never the finished product until you've taken your last breath here on this earth. I love my grandfather who says, 85 years old, he says, I don't understand people my age being done learning. I say, man, I, like, I hope I'm like him when I, when I grow up. And some of you say, I just wish you would grow up. That's okay. <laughs> but we got to persevere. We got to stick to it. We got to be loyal to that idea. You all have loyalties in your life, things that you are fiercely tied to, that you won't let go of. Make Jesus one of those. Make Jesus the preeminent one. It's not a destination to be reached, but a lifestyle to be demonstrated. And as with everything in life that we get better at, even walking in the Spirit, 
gives us an opportunity for pride, doesn't it? The more and more we walk in the Spirit, and hear me on this, because you'd think, well, if you're walking in the Spirit, how could you? Those moments where you take your eyes off of Jesus, and you've been walking in the Spirit, you take your eyes off Jesus, immediately it's about you, and what you accomplished, and what you've done. And that's when you can start looking down your nose at somebody else that isn't quite as far along. Shame on you for doing that. Shame on me for doing that. For looking at everybody through the lenses of my life. Man, I've grown up in a Christian home. I've grown up with every advantage that there was. It's amazing I'm not further along in my life than I am. How dare I look at somebody else and say, why aren't you further along? But for the grace of God, there I'd be too. And so Paul finishes this portion. He says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. Because even in our Christian successes and walking the Spirit, we can leave room for the flesh to kind of crowd in upon that and take uh, take pride in something that we didn't even do. It's going to be especially important in coming months as we look to establish leadership here at Ignite that we leave off the old way of, the old flesh, the old nature of conceitedness, provoking one another, envying one another. Why did he pick that person? Why isn't it me? Why not them? There's such an opportunity coming for this congregation to do amazing things or to fall apart completely. I hope you understand that. I feel it in my spirit. Tread lightly, tread lightly, tread lightly. Because these are the moments when a church that isn't doing these things, isn't living their life, the fruit is not bearing a tree that of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. When those aren't the character traits that characterize a church, we end up biting and devouring one another. As soon as there's any reason, some of us are just kind of cocked, ready to, ready to go. We're, we're, we're waiting for the, the right reason to lash out. That can't be us. That can't characterize us here at Ignite. And I sensed a heaviness about mentioning that this morning. Because those things are marks of the flesh, evidence that you're not operating in the Spirit. And if we're not operating in the Spirit, this thing will die as fast as it gets started. It takes a lifetime to build a healthy church and moments to destroy it. But this is the formula. Conceitedness, provocation, provoking one another, envious. I've told you, when I, what I look for in an elder is somebody willing to take a tomato to the face. Because this is not glamorous. You're not well-liked for saying things that nobody wanted to hear. This is not looking for credit. It's looking to take blame. The buck stops here. We've got to be characterized by these fruit. Let's get back to the fruit of the Spirit with our remaining time together. The evidence of being His or belonging to Christ is that we bear these kinds of fruit. It's no mistake that Paul starts with love. Love is the chief end of the law, right? The sum total of the law and the prophets, the whole Hebrew canon, is that we love our neighbor as ourselves. And most of us don't need to be instructed how to love ourselves, right? We're pretty good at that. We need to be instructed how to love somebody else. 
And true love, in the English language, we have just the word love, right? Well, in the Greek, there's like four or five words and, and, and to varying degrees and intensities. But this word here is agape. And that's a self-sacrificial love. That's the kind of love, covenant love that God has for his people. The kind of love that would pursue the one and leave the 99. Self-denying type of love. That's the kind of love that is supposed to characterize the church of Jesus Christ. It's others-oriented, it's self-sacrificial, self-denying. When you woke up this morning, were you upset that there's no you know, somebody took the last cake up? Were you upset that nobody filled up the reservoir so you could have one when you woke up? Was your whole life oriented to you? And so that everything along the way, all through the day, was about you. Then you have not embraced this idea of agape love. Jesus said, we are to deny ourselves. He said in Matthew chapter 16, in order to follow me, you need to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. That's what he's demanding of his people when it comes to love. The next one is joy. And I looked for a definition that I liked of joy. Um, and I didn't find one that really characterized what I wanted to say. And so uh, here's my definition of it. Two words. Joy is abiding contentment. The key word is abiding. Because true joy is not circumstance-driven. Happiness is circumstance-driven. I am happy the Steelers are going to win today. Amen? Laugh it up. Every time I mention the Steelers, they lose. Uh, I mention it from the pulpit, so I should learn my lesson. But um, but joy is not joy is not contingent upon circumstance. It transcends circumstance. Now think about Paul's magnum opus on joy. You go to the book of Philippians. We, he treats this probably more carefully in another place. Uh, the, the the issue of joy. And Paul says, I've learned to be content whatever my situation. Who here can say that? I've learned to be content no matter my situation. Whether I have a lot or I have a little. Whether I'm imprisoned or I'm free. Whether I'm this or whether I'm that. You guys say, well, that's easy to say, Paul. But what was the circumstance at the time of writing that letter? Paul's in prison. Probably hungry. Probably not sleeping much. Probably... Skin rubbed off from the shackles he wore. And in that context, he says, I've learned in any situation to be content. Because my joy is not found in my circumstances. My joy is found in Jesus. The joy for the Christian is an abiding contentment in Jesus that transcends our circumstances. Next one is peace. Are you a pot stirrer? Do you like drama? You like watching people kind of fight and, and ruffle feathers and kick up dander and get people people get upset with each other. If that's you, if you get entertained by that, you are not a peacemaker. And Jesus spoke blessings on uh, those things called the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. He said, blessings on these types of people. One of them was the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. We are called to, as much as lies within us, live peaceably with all people. I am glad this says as, as much as lies within you. Because sometimes at the end of me, I'm like, I just can't get along with you. It ain't me, it's you. <laughs> yeah. 
It's usually the other way around, but uh, but it's not just peace with other people. It's also peace with God and peace from God. Philippians chapter 4, verse 7, the peace that passes all understanding. The Christian can walk through this life at peace, not looking for drama, not looking to stir things up, and not at war with God because they're abiding in the presence of God. They're walking in step with the Spirit. And so their whole lives are at peace, even if their circumstances would dictate otherwise. How about patience? I love that some translations have here instead long-suffering, because I think that defines it well. What is long-suffering? Well, suffering long for a person. And don't we sometimes make others suffer long for us? Didn't God suffer long for us? Somebody, I had a pastor friend that was asking about different passages where God was long-suffering with us. And there were uh, all these different passages. We're offering different passages. God waits for them and patiently, even sending them relief and respite from their uh, bondage to other nations. When they repent, he frees them. But the book of Judges is a period of three to 400 years where Israel is in constant cycle of sin, repent, sin, repent, sin, repent. And, and God is long-suffering through the whole thing. Shouldn't we extend that to other people around us? Are you kind, not mean-spirited, accepting of others? Or do you kind of like being the bully? You look at somebody getting picked on and say, instead of, instead of defending that person, you jump in on it. You've got to be characterized by the kind of people that will say, look, I, I'd rather not talk about that person. I'd rather not down that person. Do you know what they're going through? Do you have any idea what they're going through? No. So kindness, one of those fruits. Goodness closely related to kindness. Goodness being oriented away from evil. So uh, again, you've turned away from your old life and you're oriented toward good. The Bible calls us to be simple concerning evil, Romans sixteen nineteen. We're not supposed to be experts always dabbling in the cesspool of wickedness. But we're to be simple. We, we see the evil. We know it's there. We know that we have to contend with it every now and again. But you don't need to be an expert in it. We like to inch closer and closer and closer to that evil. Those strangleholds that got, uh, got us by the neck in our life. And we just keep inching towards it. Like it's not going to get us again. Or a few weeks ago when I said that, that pit you keep falling into. You keep walking by the same pit and acting surprised when you fall back into it. Don't act surprised. The reason you're falling into it is you willingly go back down that same path. Your orientation should be goodness away from those things and faithfulness. We could, we could spend hours on this one alone, but faithfulness, the Greek word is pistis, but it, it means faith. It means faithfulness, but I feel like that word doesn't quite encompass all of what that Greek word means for us to understand. It's loyalty. It's allegiance through thick and thin and mostly thin. Like we said a moment ago, staying power. It's like our marriage vows. Are you in it for the long haul? Or are you just in it until or unless something better comes along or it gets too hard? Because again, perseverance means nothing when it's easy. Everybody perseveres when it's easy. You can't even define it as perseverance. It only means perseverance when it's difficult to stay. Faithfulness should characterize the son or daughter of God. And gentleness. 
you tend to be rather a bull in a china shop. You just you love truth so much, you're just going to beat people over the head with it. Now, I got a lot of opinions. Uh, I got a lot of strong opinions. A lot of them you don't know, and you probably never will. Because I don't need to beat you over the head with every opinion that Jeff Woodham holds. My job is to lead this church uh, towards more of these things. Not to convince you of every secondary issue of doctrine that I hold. Happy to talk about them. Love talking theology. But do I, am I a bull in a china shop running from one argument to the next, just beating people over the head with truth? Truth is important, but we, 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 ex- we extend truth and we explain truth and we offer truth in a spirit of gentleness, in a spirit of meekness. First Peter 3.15, one of my favorite verses. It says, be ready always to give an answer to anyone that asks of the hope that lies within you. And that's our, that's our favorite part of the verse. But the rest of it says, with meekness and fear. Oh, I don't really like that part. I don't want to be meek about it. I want to beat somebody over the head with some truth. But we were called to be gentle. Second Timothy 2.25 says this. Your opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. And finally, self-control. Really, this is back to our issue of restraint, right? Which was the whole old covenant was all about restraint uh, over the issues of the flesh. Are you able, can you, do you daily see this in your life, your ability to deny yourself of the worldly pleasure you would otherwise want to partake in? Or do you just find reasons for why you should? Uh, a, a substance, a website, a magazine, a relationship maybe you should be staying away from. Do you exercise self-control? Does that characterize who you are in Christ? These are the things that, that, these are the fruit on the tree of a Christ follower. And and so if you're lacking a lot of these fruits, you do some self-introspection and say, why am I lacking so many of those? So many people will find one day, I think, that they thought they were Christians, only to wake up one day and realize they weren't. They were flirting with religion. They were playing with God. They, their Christianity was a jacket that they liked. They put it on every now and again, but when it, wasn't, when it wasn't helpful to them, they took it off. And Jesus deserves more than that. He deserves all of you, not just on Sunday morning, but on Monday and Tuesday and the rest of the week. These are the things that will result from plugging in or walking, keeping in step with the Spirit. Why then, if these are the result of keeping in step with the Spirit, why would anybody dare this life without it? You have that resource available to you. You need to plug into it. I'm going to close in a word of prayer and ask the worship team to come back up and close us out. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to us when we are unfaithful to you. God, we ask that you continue to work in our congregation, Lord. Stir the hearts of men and women here today and the children in the children's ministry. Uh, Lord, that we would become a, a bastion of these things, just a Uh, a bunch of trees bearing these kinds of fruit.
Lord, help us. We are so easily distracted. We are so easily set off course. Help us to keep in step with your spirit, Lord. Because apart from you, we can't. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand and join us for our last song.